you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming to the Area Podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Oh, my gosh. We have one of the most amazing authors on the show. He's the author of a multitude of books, a whole bunch, and he's written his newest novel. This thing is coming out April 20th, 2021. It's uh, by Will Dean, and the novel is entitled The Last Thing to Burn, <laughs> and I think you're going to love it. The Lisa Jewell, the number one New York Times bestselling author of Invisible Girl, called it immediate, intense, gripping, taunt, terrifying, moving, and brilliant. I think you're going to like this book, especially if you're into thrillers. So we're going to be talking with Will today. Take and watch the video version of this at youtube.com for just Chris Voss. You can see all the wonderful things in there. Hit that bell notification button. See our groups on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Also go to goodreads.com for just Chris Voss and read what we're reviewing and seeing over there. So today, welcome to the show. Dean, he grew up in the East Midlands and lived in nine villages before the age of 18. So what is that? Two every something. I don't know. I flunk math. After studying law at the London School of Economics and working in London, he settled in rural Sweden where he built a wooden house in a boggy clearing at the center of a vast elk forest. And it's from his base that he compulsively reads and writes. And I think he's coming to there from today. His debut novel, Dark Pines, was selected for Zoe Ball's Book Club in ITV, shortlisted for the National Book Awards UK, and The Guardians, not the Booker Prize, and named a Telegraph Book of the Year. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Will R. Dean. I don't know why I read the last sentence. Welcome to the show. How are you, Will? I'm good, Chris. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> we have a lot of fun on this show. So welcome to the show. You're calling from inside your your Swedish bog home. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Talking to you from my swamp. That's right. Yeah. So I live pretty much pretty much off grid in Sweden. I've lived here wow. for 10 years now with my, yeah, with my wife and my little son and a big St. Bernard. And we live... Yeah, literally, if you imagine like a dartboard, we live right in the bullseye of a big moose forest, kind of wow. moose wandering through the garden every day. And we have a well outside for our water, and we, you know, I chop down trees for our heating and our cooking. Really? No shops anywhere, no restaurants. Yeah, really. No, no takeout. No takeout for 10 years, Chris. Wow. Yeah, wow. that's tough. That's the downside of living. Does this help you write uh, books like the uh, the one you're, we'll be talking about today that kind of have that whole... Ooh, going on. I think in a way, having no distractions helps. If I, if there was a bookshop or a mu- music shop or a cinema, I would be out there all the time. But there's nothing apart from trees and a moose and wolves. So I stay busy by reading and writing. And this book, uh, The Last Thing to Burn, is, yeah, it's a lot about isolation. It's a claustrophobic kind of thriller. And it's set in the fens in the UK, which is this very flat, open landscape, which is where I was, I'm from. Uh-huh. It's a really creepy kind of landscape. All right. There you go. Yorkshire Magazine Online called it a mix between misery 
meets room and they call it a spot on description so i skipped the part but let's go back to it because i wanted to talk about the room you were in in the background but give us your plugs or people can find you on the interwebs in order of the book okay you can find me at will Ardeen on instagram twitter on facebook uh, will dean author and also this is slightly strange but on on youtube i have a channel called will dean forest author and it's not about my books it's all about me trying to help the next generation of writers come through so i'm giving tips on how to write a query letter how to submit to agents literary agents how to start your first draft lots of practical tips and tricks to help people from my kind of background from a kind of blue collar town who aren't in the the publishing world to try and get an agent and get a deal that's pretty freaking awesome. I, do you have any videos of like your surroundings of, yeah, of Bogville? I've got a lot. There's a lot oh, of the dog. I got to go see that then. You got, you, you got me hooked there. I'm, yeah, you'll I'm see, all for you'll that. You'll see, you'll see the shack and the, uh, the isolation here. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why that, I think this would be fun to go see. So I'm definitely going to go see it. So let's talk about the book. What you've written in several books. What motivated you want to write this one? So this one, it came to me as an idea midnight in 2016. I was lying in bed next to my wife. She was asleep. And I suddenly had this vision, this kind of uh, picture in my head, this image from an aerial perspective of flat farmland and this little tiny two-bedroom farm cottage right at the center of the farmland. And a woman who was walking in and out of the farm, in and out of the, the cottage all day long, around it but she never went very far away and i came to understand that she was being held captive there against her will mm-hmm. so between midnight and 6 a.m that morning i came up with the entire story so by 6 a.m i had it and then it's taken me like five years to really get it finished because it's it's a book where i really wanted to do the main character justice so i worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and dream come true for me is it being my american debut on on april 20th that's my dream come true Awesome sauce. That's great. The I was just pulling up your YouTube channel here, and this is awesome. And you've got a lot of great instructional videos, but then you've also got bit, videos. I'm, I saw a video where you have an incredible bar behind you. Yeah, uh, I have a bar uh, in my writing shack. You need a bar. <laughs> so, no, hold on. You have a main house, and then you have a writing shack? We have five shacks. One oh, okay. of them was already here. There was no water, no toilet, no road, but we, we slept here while we were building the main cabin. And the uh-huh. one you can see on the videos is my writing shack, which is about 70% bar, 30% desk. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the thing. This is an amazing channel. All right. After the show, I've got something to watch for sure. I'll catch up on this. <laughs> but yeah, guys, check it out. Go to YouTube and check it out. So give us a, I think you gave us an overview of the book a little bit. Do you want to give a deeper one or do we yeah. get that covered? I was busy sure. with your YouTube channel. I mean... <laughs> What you said about uh, it being Misery by Stephen King meets Room by Emma Donoghue, that really sums it up beautifully, I think. And I'm really lucky that anybody has said that about it because I'm a big fan of both of those two authors and those two yeah. books. And it does, it is that. It's just very tense. It's her trying to get away from this monster, this husband, this man who's holding her captive. And the whole book is really just two characters, two main characters on one farm. And it's him controlling every aspect of her life. Like he's installed cameras in every room. It's a horrible story in a way. And we're really rooting for that main character so she can one day get away from this place. And the worst thing about it is, whereas in Misery and in Room, the person who's captive can't really see out, can't really get out. With this book, she can always see into the distance because the fields are so flat. So she can see nine different church spires in the distance, different villages. Yeah, she can see traffic like a fruit picker's on buses 
and trucks and she can never quite get there. So she's, it's always dangled in front of her and wow. she can never quite reach it. You can see your freedom, but you can't. Wow. That's exactly it. Yeah. And I think that hopefully mm-hmm. the tension kind of ratchets up a different level as we go through the book, because like she has a child halfway through the book mm-hmm. that, that creates a whole nother level of jeopardy and of, and of risk. And, and for her of something that she loves that she needs to protect. So mm-hmm. it's, I get it. Like it's already been out for a few months now in the UK, Australia, South Africa. And I get letters and emails every week saying you ruined my, my, <laughs> my day at work because I couldn't sleep. I went, I read through the night to finish the book. And for me, as a writer, that's a dream come true, getting that kind of message. What made you make the choice to just use very few characters in this? What made you uh, pick that choice? I don't know. You give me too much credit. I don't really <laughs> think these things through. It's more that I... <laughs> came to you in a dream I, and the book yeah, was there. Yeah, pretty much. I saw these two characters. I like going very deep on character. I like to really get my fingernails under the skin and understand the character. And it's a fairly short, intense book. So I wanted to flesh these characters out as much as I could. And if you have a big cast of 20 characters, you never really get to know any of them that well, apart from maybe the protagonist. So I wanted these two to be, to haunt you. I love those kind of books where you never forget the character and they really get under your skin and you think of them years later. So that's what I like to read. So that's what I aim to try to write. I think that was one of the brilliances of this book because like you say, yeah, too many characters and you're like, okay, so what's going on over here? And there's a subplot over here and you're just like, what's going on? And some of the real keys to this book in like a room and misery is just the main people that are in it and you're stuck with them yeah you almost feel like you're trapped in the, with them but you're yeah. like the third person and then one of the a lot of the reviews i saw really talked about how you slowly amp up the character development and so not only do you deliver these characters but you slowly just bring them up and from the very first pages when you start reading it you're hooked like the the first couple paragraphs, you're hooked. You're just like, I got to find out what the hell's going on and what's up. And and so that's another great progression that you put in the book and, and how they progress. And a lot of people said they would have read it in one sitting, but they either didn't have time or they were you know working or they had to go to sleep. But usually they read it the next day, like they finished off because somewhere around the middle of the book, it just goes off the rails and they're like i have to find out how it ends congratulations for that was there any sort of in, uh, insight that you went into that to, did you find that as was in your prior books or was this something new for you and what you're writing with this book thank you very much first of all i i don't know if it's i think all of it comes from me reading like i gotta give credit to every book that i've ever read and all the <laughs> brilliant authors that i read because it's not a very conscious process for me writing a first draft, writing a story. It's more that I'm telling myself a story for the first time. And if I'm not excited by that story myself, then how can I expect you and everybody else to get excited about it? So I, when I write a first draft, I write them really fast. I write them in, I wrote this in three weeks. Oh, wow. And I had, yeah, and I was, I had the buzz, like I'm almost high all the way through it because I'm excited. I'm telling myself the story for the first time. And then all the work comes after that. Like for this book, it was like three years of rewriting and a new draft oh, wow. but that first draft has to be like an exorcism like it has to flood out of me and then i know i'm onto something and i think that kind of tension that you talked about which is something again that i love to read comes from character always comes from character because mm-hmm. if you care about a character if you genuinely are invested in a character's future then you you read the next page you read the next chapter you get to the end of the book it's mm-hmm. all about that for me and i don't like i don't really love or enjoy gratuitous violence, I'd much rather have tension. It's that whole thing that Hitchcock used to talk about. Instead of like the bomb going off, which is cool for two seconds, it's about watching two characters sit at a table and there's a bomb underneath the table and it's there. 
that is exciting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that analogy from Hitchcock. I never heard of that. Now, the character uh, you talk about in the book, the woman, is part of uh, human trafficking. Did you want to make a statement on that at all? Or is it just that's the way it came to you on that day you had the dream? and Or did you feel like some sort of uh, alliance to that cause and what's going on and trying to shine some light onto it? It came from me having that kind of image in my head of this woman who couldn't get away. And then I came to understand very quickly her background and the kind of the journey that she had been on to that point. And my main focus at that from then on was just doing her justice, writing her the best way I could. So that meant doing as much research as I could. I did six months solid research before I wrote the first draft. And then afterwards I talked a lot with my sister-in-law who's Vietnamese Mm. And I talked through the entire, like a lot of the subjects of the book with her, but I still understood that I didn't have the right to tell this story just because I have an idea and because I talked to my sister-in-law. So I, I just spent years on this book because I wanted to do it. Like my norm, normally I write a book in a year and that's hard work, but I get it done. But this took five years wow. and it was for that reason. I, I would not want it published if I didn't think that I'd done the main character justice. So I mm. wanted I wanted a friend of mine who's Vietnamese to read it before it was published. I wanted another friend who works within the kind of human trafficking world as a counselor to read it. Yeah. Just so I, just so I know that I'm doing it sensitively and I'm doing it in the right way. Simple. Yeah. That's brilliant. And probably give you a lot of insight to the development of the characters, what they think or experience and everything else. <laughs> Excuse me. It's because it's a tragedy what goes on with this stuff. So it is. Do you want to, I know there's an aspect of this book that is part of the thriller and it's part of the lead up and the drama and stuff. And it has to do with the title of the book. Do you want to talk about what the title of the book is about or should, do you want to leave that to readers? I can talk a little bit about that. So <laughs> at the beginning of this book, we see the main character trying to leave this place, trying to leave this man, this awful man. And she's walking down the farm track towards the road. She's trying to get away. She's desperate to get away. And he comes back. And he's not violent in that moment. He's not physically violent very much at all. He's psychologically violent. He's controlling. So he takes her back to the farm cottage and he lays out her four remaining possessions in the world, which is a favorite book of mice and men. It's a photo of her parents. It's a, her ID card in her own language, the last thing left in her own language and some letters from her sister. And he asks her very calmly to choose one of these possessions and then he will burn it on their like wood burning stove where they cook all their meals that night. Wow. And that kind of sets the tone for the book in that he's terrifying in a bit of a hitchcocking kind of way. Like he's a true psychopath in a way because he believes this completely. He thinks that their relationship is a normal marriage. Wow. That's the scary thing. Yeah. So she knows the truth of it. She knows that he's holding her captive. But it, of an evening, when he's been filming her all day long and controlling exactly what they both eat and how it's cooked, which is how his late mother used to cook everything. He's obsessed with how his mum used to do things. At the end of the day, they'll watch football on TV and he insists on her kind of sitting on the floor. He sits on the chair and he'll say things like, it's not a bad life, is it? We're doing all right here. Like he believes this charade that this is a normal marriage and this is his wife. So it is terrifying, I think, on that level. Yeah. I think I have some friends that have marriages like this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I think this is uh, I think this is extraordinary because, like you, you talked about Hitchcock, the psychological nature of this sort of terror or thriller is you see the horror of what the person, the evil person in the story, is capable of. 
but there's no like there's no immediate falling axe or stabbing where you're like oh, rah, rah, you know the whole cycle scene at the end there's none of that be- and it's drawn out and that's the real that's the real that's the real fear factor because like you say the explosion can be over in seconds the stabbing can be over in seconds but this is like you you start to realize the depth of the sociopath and you're just like what's next and how deep does this rabbit hole go exactly man it's that thing of the bomb under the table and how long can a rider keep that scene going where these two people are talking and the bomb is there and the bomb is there and the countdown's ticking down or the the fuse is shortening like that's that's what it's all about for me i want to write those kind of scenes and tell those kind of stories where at the end you're like how the hell is this going to end and how is she going to get away from this yeah and you talked about the opening scene too uh, if I recall rightly, on the first couple pages, she can see the trucks going by on the road across the farm. So you can see if just someone could see her. <laughs> exactly. She's that close. Well, that's it. And also, up. like, I think the churches as well, like knowing that there's safety, there's sanctuary, there's people yeah. who are there who will help you, but you can never reach out to them. And he's got the, he's properly crazy. He's got the phone bolted down to the floor so she can never access it. It's in a steel box. Everything is locked. He wears the master key around his neck. Yeah. He reviews the tapes every evening when he's finished his farm work to see what she's been doing to make sure she's done all of the farm work, the the chores and the housework in the right way. So he's almost a throwback a hundred years ago to what some men were like a hundred years ago, but just on a whole different level, much worse. That's just, wow, that's just psychotic at a whole different level. You, you used some different people to reference the book and build it out. What were some of the other writing styles that you used, or was there anything else you pulled from to uh, get inspiration from the book or in, in re-editing it? One big thing when I was re-editing it and, and working through it was getting Len's dialect, this husband's dialect right, because at the beginning his dialect is, was really too strong. It was very much my dialect from my childhood which is a very particular kind of Northern English dialect, which is difficult to understand if you're not from that part of the world. And gradually I had to make it authentic, but also make it readable. Because otherwise, if, it's, if it just slows you down too much, you get thrown out of the story. So that's something I wanted to do. And I guess I worked on just the isolation and the control. And I think control, like a controlling relationship on some level is something we can all relate to because it's going on all around the world right now in many households you think it looks perfect from the outside and inside one is controlling the other and that's always unhealthy and it's always slightly scary and this is just that but extreme on an extreme level yeah definitely most definitely it's an excellent book and everything i read in the reviews people are like this thing just you got to almost read it in one read (laughs) and sit down and just pound it through because it just the way it escalates and stuff it just takes you on that roller coaster ride and then you're just page turning at the end to see where it goes and it opens that way too like you you read the first part and you're just like i gotta know what's on page two and three and then you just keep running going anything uh you want to touch on before we go as to giving readers a, a tease or anything or maybe some other aspect of the book we haven't touched on i don't know i write a lot of food in my books this is not a teaser <laughs> or, or a twist but i love writing food like a domestic setting how people how people interact with food how people think about food how they cook for other people because i think it's so it really illustrates our character, like how we eat together or we don't, how we 
how quickly or slowly we eat a meal. I think that's really interesting. And so I use that a lot in the book. And in terms of the structure of the book, there are some key twists that come through this novel, but I don't want to talk about them overtly, sure, yeah. obviously. <laughs> but yeah, I, hopefully it will give readers that kind of gasp out loud kind of moment and then they can go and talk about it with their friends. Now I have to go find out what the full food thing is about. I got to finish the book, but uh, I can see how that would play out because it really that's part of the uh, domestic aisle. What's the word I'm looking for? Domestic style sort of experience in thinking. And of course, I'm sure it's about a lot about the interaction of the two people and the technical bomb on the table. <laughs> so there you go. Will give us your plugs before we go out to where people can find you on the interwebs to get to know you better. Sure. Okay. So, at Will Ardeen again on Twitter, on Instagram. It's mainly my dog, my St. Bernard, but there you go. Will Dean author on Facebook and then Will Dean Forrest author on YouTube if you need any writing tips, reading tips, or like how to get published kind of tips. Yeah, I love this. Uh, you've got lots of great stuff up here. How will the events of 2020 affect your books, standalone novels versus series novels, agent query and pitching tips, how to restructure novel, writing synopsis. Just I'm just plugging the crap out of your channel right now. Imposter <laughs> syndrome, <laughs> procrastination, how to write synopsis. So check this guys out, this, this these out, guys. Order up the book, of course, as well. But, Will, thanks for being on the show. We certainly uh, appreciate you spending time with us, and we'll look for all the other scary stuff you'll bring out of that cottage <laughs> in the bog. <laughs> That's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much as well. And to my audience, go uh, check out the book. You can order it up on a million different platforms, your local bookstore, et cetera, et cetera. You can pre-order the book right now, April 20th, 2021 here in America. The last thing to burn a novel by Will Dean. Do you want to give a plug or a shout out to your other books real quick? Yeah, I also write the two Vermudison books. They're set in Sweden. They're Nordic noir, Scandi thrillers, kind of Stephen King-esque small town mystery thrillers. There you go. Check him out, guys. Order up his books. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to go to youtube.com for chess Chris Foss to see the video version of this. Hit that bell notification button. Go to goodreads.com for chess Chris Foss. All of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and all that good stuff. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Wear your mask, stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.